reminders of the ways that you have created the world. I thank you for the, the patterns and thank you for the habits that you've designed into it. And I thank you that you made it all with a plan. And God, the times where we feel like we're out of control, God, you are still in control. We thank you that you love us. <clears throat> we thank you that you are worthy to, to open the scroll and um, bring an end to this dark era that we've all grown accustomed to. We thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Um, Good Nation, if you want to go back with Uncle Ryan, we've got a full house today. Just keeps on trucking. Uh, some days it feels like the end of the world. I think we probably have had more of those in the last couple of months than we really anticipated, or maybe maybe it's just me. I'm a young guy, so I haven't seen it in a life. But sometimes it just feels like it's the end of the world. You turn on the news and it feels like everything's falling apart, or um, there's some kind of something that's happening. Every every time that we, we turn around, there's some kind of tragedy that we're, we're faced with. Um, do you feel the world is broken? Yeah. Yeah, we do. Um, is all creation groaning? Does it seem like every part of creation is uh, broken and, and not quite working right? Like the, the gears haven't been greased properly and it's just all rubbing together and nothing works smoothly. Is all creation growing? Yeah. Um, and there's some days that it doesn't feel like the end of the world. Um, and I think that's what I want to key in on a little bit this morning, is that for all of the times that we do feel like everything's falling apart, there's days where it's just business as usual. Um, I was kind of astonished at how quickly everything in the world changed as, as this pandemic started last year. Um, there were some things at the end of the book in Revelation that I thought, yeah, that's, I don't know how that's going to work. Um, and I used to think back in the day, like of the four horsemen of the apocalypse, I used to think pestilence was like weak sauce. Like, what's a disease going to do in the world? But now we see, like, stuff can change. Like, it doesn't matter how much you know about medical science. If you can't get the hand sanitizer on the hands of the doctors to keep them safe, like, it doesn't matter what you know. Um, so maybe pestilence isn't the, the weak horseman that I thought it was. Um, but we get accustomed to living in that world, don't we? Um, we got accustomed to being isolated for a while. It didn't last forever and shorter here in Florida um, than in other places. There are some places that are just now coming out of lockdown. Um, and so uh, if we're at the end of the world, like, and it doesn't maybe feel like it every day, like, what does that tell us about us? Um, what does that tell us about what God is doing in the world? And these are not, like, obvious questions, um, in fact, they're not original to me. It's, it's not even something that I had really considered until I came face to face with some of the words and teachings of Jesus. And so I'd like to show those to you this morning um, as we continue in the series that we've just called Is He Worthy? This is a real short series. It's just two, two weeks. So if, if you missed last week, I'd encourage you to catch up um, either on our website or on our podcast or our YouTube page. And these two conversations really do go hand in hand. Um, but I do think that they're going to be edifying for us. So as we begin and as we 
before we open up our, our Bibles, let's just pause together and pray, um, and pray together with me the disciples' prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. If you'd turn with me to Luke chapter 17, we, we looked at the first, um, the first 19 verses of Luke 17 last week, and we're going to be um, looking at the, the rest of that chapter this morning, beginning in verse 20. Luke chapter 17, if you want to navigate there. If you're using these blue Bibles that are in the room, um, they're big font. Uh, you can read them from outer space, and that's on page 1094. 1094, Luke 17, I'm going to begin in verse 20. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he, Jesus, answered them. The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And he said to the disciples, The days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there, or look here. Do not go out and follow them. I'm going to pause there. Um, So last week we uh, interacted with some texts that were pretty challenging. We we saw that temptations to sin were were sure to come. Like we live in a broken world. It's it's obvious that our temptations are going to sin. But it seems like, at least in Luke chapter 17, the, the sin that Jesus was most concerned with guarding the disciples' heart against was the sin of unforgiveness. And they were really challenged by... What do you mean I have to forgive my brother if he asks for repent or if he asks for forgiveness seven times in a day? I gotta forgive him seven times in a day? He's like, Yeah, that's how it works. Um, and so we saw last week that Jesus is worthy of shaping how we treat other people. And this morning, um, it's a little bit of a different conversation. The Pharisees are a group of religious teachers that are really familiar with the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, and they have taken the Word of God and then added layers and layers and layers of extra rules to make sure that we don't offend God, and they end up enforcing the extra rules that they set up as you know to protect us from violating the Word of God. They, they enforced those rules more than they enforced the actual word of God, and they began to get things backwards. So these teachers were really threatened by Jesus, and so they turned to him and they asked him, um, when the kingdom of God would come, when is the end of the world as we know it? When's the kingdom of God going to come? When are, are, is everything that's broken in the world going to be set right? And he turns to them and he says, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. So they're asking, what does the end of the world look like? He says, look, it's the coming of the kingdom 
is not going to be something that is going to show up on your news feed. The coming of the kingdom is not going to make a, a, global, um, a global sensation. The coming of the kingdom is not coming in ways that can be observed. It is already here. It is already in the midst of you. So Jesus, as king of the kingdom of God, says to me, the kingdom's already here. Like, I'm already the king. It's not coming in ways that are going to be observed. The kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And then he turns to his disciples. So he's talking first to people who are skeptical of Jesus. And he says, look, you're, you're talking about the end of the world. You're talking about the end of days. And it's not going to be a big, elaborate thing. It's already here. And then he turns to his disciples, people that aren't, maybe are less skeptical of him, but have chosen, chosen to follow him. And he says, look, the kingdom of God is, uh, sorry, I'm in the wrong paragraph. And he said to the disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there, or look here, do not go out and follow them. So, to the Pharisees, to the skeptics, he said, it's not coming in anything that you can observe. To his disciples, he said, there's going to be people who say, look, there it is, this is the day, get ready for it, you need to be worked up about this. He says, don't go after them. He's got two different messages to two different audiences. You see that? To people who are skeptical, the message is the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is in your presence. To the disciples, the people that are following him, he says, look, there's going to be people who say Armageddon is coming and you need to be ready and you need to hoard all of your food stuff and you need to have nine months canned supply of food. Like, by the way, if it's the end of the world, like... Only nine months of food is really just going to make things worse for you. So I'm just saying, like, you might, you might be a prepper. I'm cool with that. But long term, you're going to need some more sustainable options. Anyway, that's, a side, that's not in my notes. Forgive me. <clears throat> to the people that are following Jesus, he says, don't chase the people that are trying to get you riled up about it. There's two truths, two truths in tension here. The one is, the kingdom is here, and the other is, the kingdom is coming. And I can't like, think of an example of how this works exactly. I can't think of anything in real life, in, in like your normal day-to-day -day things, that's like this. Um, the closest I can get is maybe if you've ever like ordered food, and... You get that text message that says your food is here, and you look at the table, it's clearly not here. What, what it means is the food is here, but it's, it's outside, you've got to go meet the driver, right? Um, that's the closest I can think of. Like, the king is here, but the kingdom hasn't been delivered. The table hasn't been set. We're not eating at the table yet. The kingdom is here. Everything that is needed for the kingdom of God is in this package of this man that we call Jesus, and yet... We're not sitting down and eating at that table yet. We haven't gotten from the car into the house to the dining room, right? Two truths in tension. The kingdom is here. Jesus has brought the kingdom to earth, but the kingdom is coming. It hasn't been completely set up yet. What does the kingdom look like? Which I guess is kind of a dumb question, right? Jesus just said it's not coming in ways that can be observed. The kingdom is already among them. And if we think back to the conversation we had last week, 
that Jesus is worthy of shaping how we treat other people. The kingdom is among them, and forgiven followers of Jesus generously forgiving people who wrong them. Forgiveness is not the world's standard. The kingdom on earth doesn't look like castles and lords and shining armor. The kingdom on earth looks like humble people turning the other cheek and forgiving. So if you're skeptical of Jesus and you're like, oh great, we're going to talk about the end time. We're going to talk about Armageddon. And actually, this is kind of a warm-up. Um, at the end of the, or towards the end of the year, we're going to go deep into what does the end times look like. And I'm, I'm pretty nervous about that conversation, but I've got some months to prepare. Um, but you're like skeptical of Jesus, you're like, oh great, like these are all these people that are just kind of sitting around and twiddling their thumbs and waiting for the rapture so that we can all get out of here and they're no good for anything around here because they're so uh, heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. Jesus says, look, the kingdom is already here. The kingdom is my followers who have infiltrated this whole uh, world and who are demonstrating that they are citizens of a different planet a different kingdom by living as though they were there now. The kingdom's here. But then when you get into the disciples, when you get into groups of people who are following Jesus, we, we have those conversations. We talk about the end of the world. We talk about the rapture and what all that's going to look like. And Jesus says, look, you can study it. You can come to understand it, but Chill. Just because you know it's going to happen doesn't mean you can prevent it. If it's going to happen, you can't prevent it, so just chill. You're going to hear people say, look there, look here. Don't go out and follow them. Just chill. So, I think the first question to ask is, are we citizens of Jesus' kingdom? Do we look at Jesus and say, yeah, you are the king, you are the Lord, you are the master of all creation, and I submit my life to you. I want to be part of your household. I want to be part of your family. I want to be in your kingdom. Like, I lay aside my loyalties and, and the things that are, are, are um, building myself up, and I say, no, I'm going to seek your kingdom first. Are we citizens of Jesus' kingdom? Because here's the crazy thing. He didn't build a wall. Citizenship in Jesus' kingdom has an open invitation to each one of us. And he's not running a background check because your background check is washed in his blood. Are we citizens of his kingdom? Our big idea for this morning is we live as citizens of Jesus' kingdom. We live as though we're part of that other thing because he'll return unexpectedly. But where are you getting unexpectedly, what, Mike? What do you, where are you coming from with that? Let's keep reading. Verse 24. Luke 17, 24. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. 
Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. I'll pause there. So he he gives a, a couple of instructions. He says, look, the day is coming and it's unexpected. Like lightning flashes in the sky is going to be that quick. It's going to come and it's going to be gone and it lights up the sky from one side to the other. It's going to encapsulate the whole earth. When it happens, it's going to, it's going to change world history and the trajectory that we have understood it. It's going to come... Like, Have you ever... Um, I know this is something we do at our dinner table. If, if there's a storm coming in, we'll hear or we'll see the flash of lightning and then we'll start counting. One, two, three, four, five... Six. Okay, so that, that storm is about six miles away. I don't know if like science actually works that out for real, but that's how we play it. Um, how, how close is the storm? Is it coming? Um, but have you ever like done it the opposite way? You, wait, you hear the thunder and you're like, all right, now when's the next lightning strike going to come? There's no way to anticipate it. Like if we knew where lightning was going to strike, we probably would have figured out how to turn that into energy, right? <laughs> we can't anticipate when the lightning is going to strike, but when the Son of Man comes, when He returns, it's going to be something that's unexpected. It's going to be something that's unanticipated. And the rest of the world is going gonna, is gonna to be continuing on the way that it always has gone. He gives two examples of this um, from the book of Genesis. The opening chapter, or the opening book of the Bible, he gives two examples. The first, um, if you want to read it, is Noah, and it's in Genesis chapters 6 through 10. It's actually kind of a long story. And Noah's story is that um, he was living among a corrupted world, a, a people whose the, the text describes as their heart was always bent towards violence. Every, every thought of their mind was towards violence and hurting other people. And, and God said, like, this is a wicked generation. I have to execute some judgment on this. And so he said to Noah, build a boat. Well, if we take the text of Scripture at face value, and not everybody does this, but I'm, I'm kind of somebody who does. Um, we have a value of trusting the Bible. And so if I'm going to trust the Bible and just take it for face value, when God describes how he created the earth, it was created with a system that irrigated the planet by itself. If you read the descriptions of the Garden of Eden, water came up from the grounds and there was no rain. It was... It was almost as if like there was a bubble. It's it almost like living in a greenhouse is the best example that I can give. But, so, so it never had really rained before. It was just kind of always humid. But I, here's the miracle of, of the perfect creation is that it was always humid and never uncomfortable. Like, we live in Florida. We know the humidity, but, but that normally comes with a degree of uncomfortability. But these people were comfortable, and it had never really rained before. And, and God says, Noah, hey, I need you to build a boat, a big boat, because it's going to save you. And he's like, okay, I guess so. And he goes, and he spends 70 years building the boat when it had never rained before. And there had never, ever, ever been a flood. So everybody in the world is looking at this guy Noah going, what are you doing? He's like, I'm building the boat. Like, What's a boat? Well, it's a thing that floats in the water. But you're on land. You didn't build it in the water. 
yeah, but it's going to flood. It's going to rain a lot, and it's going to flood, and this boat's going to save us. What's the rain? What do you mean water's going to come from the sky? I don't know. God told me to build a boat. Like, you probably ought to, probably ought to consider what I'm saying. They're like, no. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the sons of man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah went into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. They just went on living their lives. And destruction came on them. Yeah, I'll just say, the, the story of Noah, I don't think, is really great for, like, kids. Because it's a pretty violent story in and of itself. That's a side note. That's not in my notes either. Um, the second example is from Genesis chapters 18 and 19. Um, and he talks about Lot, a guy named Lot. That's a guy's name. And if you're not familiar with the story, you might be familiar with the cities that Lot was connected to. He was, he was living in uh, uh, some twin cities that they called Sodom and Gomorrah. We probably are more familiar with the names of the cities than we are of the guy. But Lot was Abram's, um, I don't think they were brothers. They were nephew, yeah. So they were, they were family, and they were living um, together, but they had too many cows, so they had to separate because you can't put too many cows in the same field. They had to separate. So Lot goes and lives in Sodom and Gomorrah, um, and then an angel comes to Abram and says, hey, look, I'm just going to give you a heads up. I'm, I'm on my way to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm going to burn it down. And Abram's like, well, what if you find like some righteous people there? Are you going to destroy righteous people too? And he's like, well, sure. If there's like 50 righteous people in the city, then I definitely I won't burn it down. And, and Abram thinks about it for a minute, and he thinks about going to visit his nephew, and he's like, um, what if there's 25? Like, what? <laughs> Maybe there's 25 righteous people, and they're like, uh, okay, sure, 25 people. He thinks about another one. He's like, all right, what if there's 10? Like, it's, it's a real bad place. This is a rough side of town. Like, come on. Like, but if there's, if there's 10 righteous people there, like, you won't burn it down. You won't burn the whole thing down for 10 righteous people? And he's like, what if there's one? And the angel's just like, look, I'll save Lot. How's that? I'm like, cool. So the angel shows up and tells Lot, and Lot tries to get his sons and their, their wives to go with him, and he grabs his wife, and he's like, we got to get out of the city. This thing's getting ready to be burned down. Um, and there's a whole bunch of backstory, but the descriptions of the culture of the city is much the same as the descriptions of the culture in the book of Noah, or in the, the story about Noah. They were corrupted, they were violent, they were an inhospitable culture. This was part of how they behaved as people. And we've all heard the phrase, Rome wasn't built in the day. And we think, when we think about that, we think about infrastructure and roads and things like that. But the other thing to consider is that culture is not built in a day. Culture is what we all accept as normal. And for the people in Sodom and Gomorrah to um, be inhospitable to guests, even to rape them, was part of the culture. And it had become a defining characteristic of these cities. And so God says, I'm going to burn this down. So Lot leaves and tries to take his family with you. But what was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah as Lot is running out the front door? Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. So, some days it feels like the end of the world. 
Some days, it feels like just another day. Both are dangerous. The people who were a hair's breadth away from God's judgment continued life as though nothing was ever going to go wrong again. And yet it was coming. And yet God in His grace had put people in their lives that was telling them, hey, like, this is coming. Lot begged his sons and their wives to come with them. And they're like, now we're good, man. I just planted a, I just planted a crop. I've got to get that yield. I've got some investments that I'm waiting on. Noah's like, I don't know what a rain is, but it's coming, and I built this boat so that you could be a part. And now I'm just going to, I got things to do. The coming of the kingdom is a time of judgment for those who are living in opposition to the king. And there's not going to be a time to cash out. I've run across some people that live as though there's time to cash out. They're like, yo, like I get that Jesus is like Lord of all, and I get like I'm not living the right way, and I know I shouldn't be holding these grudges, but like I'm just going to keep doing me, and then when things get bad, then I'll then I know Jesus, he'll back me up. Like I can definitely like turn to him, and he'll he's he's a good God. Like I'm just gonna I'm gonna do me, and then when the times when when it's time then I'll, I'll trust Jesus, right? Um, the warning that Jesus gives here is that there's not time to cash out. Like an unanticipated flash of lightning, the end comes. And I'm reminded that it's not just like the end of the world, but also your life. I am acutely aware that we don't know what day we go home. We don't know whether it's a car accident or we don't know whether it's an undiagnosed disease or we don't know, um, we don't know what it is. I'm sure we could all list things like that. So here's, here's, the, um, here's the reminder and the question. The reminder is this. The kingdom of God is in the midst of you. It's not far away. And if you hear his words, it's grace to you. A warning of what's coming. So, what worthy choices are we putting off? What are we saying? Yeah, I'll take care of that later. Like, I'm just going to keep doing what I want to do right now. What worthy choices are we putting off? Because we live as citizens of Jesus' kingdom because he will return unexpectedly. There's a couple more verses I'd like to to read together with you. If you read with me in Luke 17, beginning in verse 31. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. And they said to him, Where, Lord? 
he said to them, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. So he closes with the instructions about this. He says, look, the day is coming, and on the day that it comes, leave everything behind. Let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down. Like, you're like, oh, i got to go pack. No, don't go pack. Or if you're out in the field, like, oh, i got to go take a shower. Like, no, <laughs> it's time to go. It says, two women will be grinding. Um, and that's not really, uh, the, the translation here doesn't help us get the picture, really. Grinding means something different in the club scene. So let me explain it to you. Um, the picture here is uh, grinding grain. So uh, when you harvest wheat, you pick it up, and then you have to break the hard shell on the outside um, and then blow that away. And then you have to grind up the grain to make a flour. And so it was actually pretty common in the day because that was a boring job for women to get together and they'd either sit next to each other, sit in a circle, you'd get together with your friends or your family, and you'd have a, a, a flat stone and then you'd have a rolling pin stone type deal that you would just grind back and forth and grind the grain down into flour so you could make your bread. So there's going to be two women doing their daily chores trying to make bread for the family. They're going to be sitting together. One's going to be taken, the other one's going to be left, like a flash of lightning. There will be two in one bed. One will be taken, the other left. People, <laughs> your relationships with other people are not going to be sufficient to anchor you to Jesus if you're not anchored to Jesus. Other people's prayers for you are not sufficient if you refuse to pray for yourself. Jesus is worthy of shaping how we treat other people. And let me just say that Jesus is worthy of shaping all of my identity, all of my affection, all of my loyalty, and all of my dependence. Some ideas that we've explored together here recently. They said, well, where are these people going? And Jesus says, well, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. So the coming of the kingdom is not coming in ways that can be observed, but the arrival of the kingdom will be without question. The signs will be everywhere. Um, when you see a pile of vultures kind of out in a field, then you know there's a dead thing out there. The vultures indicate something has already happened. Unless you like see them circling above and then you think, oh, okay, maybe something is getting ready to happen. But like, if you see them on the ground, something has already happened. It's too late to make a change. And God's grace is giving us fair warning now. You say, well, God's so mean. Why is he going to destroy people? Like, I get it. But if he says, hey, look, the things that you're doing are going to hurt you and you're going to hurt your neighbor and they're going to hurt your relationship with me, stop doing them or I'm going to have to execute some discipline here. Him telling you that, that's grace. There are some fathers who have no grace and who just lash out at their children without any kind of warning. God, forgive me for the days that I am that father. But our Heavenly Father in His grace says, kids, cut it out. 
I'm coming back, and you're not going to know when, it's, when it is. So live with your bags packed. Live like you've taken a shower. Live as though I'm going to be back and walking in the door any minute now. The way that you talk to other people, don't let me catch you coming back um, in the middle of a fight over something silly. Like live at peace with one another. Be ambassadors of my kingdom on this earth. Don't sink to the level of the people that are, that are satisfied to just scream at one another and feel like their point made across. Like no, get down on your feet. Wash, get down on your knees and wash one another's feet. Love one another well. Serve your neighbor. Pray for your enemy. You are ambassadors of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And his return is unexpected. Do we consider that Jesus could call us for an evaluation at any moment? Pop quiz. So we live as citizens of Jesus' kingdom because he will return unexpectedly. Will you pray with me? God, I'm having flashbacks to being a kid growing up. And you know the kind of preacher that I had. Hellfire and Brimstone and Turner Burn. And to some degree, that's, that's what's here in the text. But God, I'm thankful that this text is not isolated. It's taken together with the instructions that you've given to us in the rest of the chapter and the rest of the book. And God, yes, we are concerned about your judgment, but God, we're reassured of your love that you have made a way. That you cannot tolerate sin, and so you've made a way for us to be friends with you, to become your children, to live in your house, to be citizens of your kingdom. And so, Lord, I pray that we would enter in today, that we would submit our hearts for your inspection. Not just that our hands would be clean of the blood of our brother, that we have not committed murder with our hands, but that, God, our hearts would be clean of the anger that we would hold against one another. Lord Jesus, would you shape our character? Would you make us worthy? It's in your name that we pray. Amen.